0: Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this
1: week's class.
0: Well, let's uh, go ahead and jump right in. Uh, before we begin, as is kind of our practice, let's pause and pray and ask God to Uh, open up this section of of the book to us, and then we'll we'll get started. Father, we do thank you for just the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for everyone that is here. Thank you for, um, God, the work that they have put in, even in preparation for today, uh, in reading and studying, investigating, opening their heart. God, I pray that you will reward that uh, with insight from your word, Uh, that you will help us to apply this section of Scripture to our lives so that uh, we better understand how we should live uh, Monday through Saturday. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given to us, the mercy that has been revealed to us in the book of Romans, and the mercy that you reveal to us every day in our lives. We are truly grateful. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so... We have uh, essentially made it through what is the theological section of the book, chapters 1 through 11, where Paul lays out a myriad of teaching as to what the gospel is, specifically how God's righteousness can be ours through faith. That's really, in a nutshell, uh, chapters 1 through 11. And Now we come to the more practical section of the book, which is, okay, how do we live our everyday lives? And I would tell you that, you know, there are are folks that say, okay, that theology stuff is all well and good, and yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting, but, you know, this is the really important stuff. This is the stuff we need to study. And then you have folks that would say, no, that, that practical stuff, you know, anybody can do that. You really have to spend time in that theological stuff. And I think Paul does a beautiful job of blending the two together to say you can't have one without the other. Uh, You know, the the practical is based on the theological, and the theological is, is important to understand our position and who we are and why we are so that we can then live out this reality. So chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, is really a transition. How do you get from theology, uh, explaining the gospel, explaining the gospel in detail, explaining uh, why Israel has not believed, and then all of a sudden jump into, okay, now here's how you need to live. So you need some kind of transition, and that is the section of scripture that is before us today. And so Paul begins with the word, therefore. Uh, He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Um, The word therefore obviously is telling us there was something that came before that was critical that we need to understand. So the question is, what came before that's really critical? Well, the answer is the whole rest of the book. Notice he says, I urge you in view of God's mercy. Paul is saying here, Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11 really is a, is a snapshot of the mercy of God as it has been delivered to our lives. And what I would tell you is that essentially it's these three concepts that, that Paul has shared. Now, he hasn't used these by word. He's used justification. Justification. He hasn't used sanctification or glorification, but he talked about these things, these, these processes. So let's just do a little bit of review here. What is justification?
1: Just as if. Okay. I've never seen
0: it. it's just the... So this is God legally declaring us to be free from the penalty of sin. How long does that process take? Okay, it takes forever, it sticks forever, but how long does it actually take? It's instantaneous, isn't it? It is the moment that God senses faith in us and a response to Him instantaneously, He applies the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us and declares us to be righteous in His sight. He no longer views us as us, does He? He views us as Jesus Christ. He views us as having died. He views us as having been raised to life, uh, freed from sin's penalty. We put this up here earlier. So that process is instantaneous. And then, in chapters 6, 7, and 8, Paul begins to deal with this issue of sanctification. What is sanctification?
2: Becoming holy.
0: Okay. Becoming holy. I heard process over here. So, it is the process whereby we learn to live without succumbing to the power of sin, right? Uh, it is a process. Now, how long does this take? A lifetime. A lifetime. We are subjected to this throughout our entire life. Um, justification centers greatly around the finished work of Jesus. What does sanctification, what, what member of the Godhead does sanctification center around? Holy the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings to mind the teachings of Jesus, and then we submit to those, and He enables us. Remember Paul Paul said things like, if you walk by the Spirit, you know, if you don't give in to the flesh, if you don't live by the flesh. So uh, the Holy Spirit enables us then to overcome the power of sin. And Then we have this one down here, glorification. What is glorification? Okay, the transformation of our earthly bodies to our heavenly bodies, it's, it's the process where God rids us of the presence of sin forever. I didn't write that up here earlier. Uh, but where God removes sin's presence or the presence of sinfulness, our propensity to do evil from us once and for all. How long does that take?
1: From death. When, we, when our spirit leaves our
0: body. Yeah. So either in death or the return of Christ, this will happen instantaneously. It's done. Now, justification, followed immediately by sanctification. Once, once we have come to Christ, we immediately enter this process, sanctification, but notice the big gap. There's this long, drawn-out process. This is the mercy of God. So the question is, why are you here? Why does God choose to leave us here throughout the sanctification process? In other words, why not just justify us and then take us out of the world into glory, into eternity? Why does He leave us here? Anybody else ever wondered that? You know, life can be difficult. It can be a struggle. It can be hard. Uh, there are pains that come into life. There is loss. There is all these things. And it's all because of this. We, 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 we learned early that it is the effects of the sinfulness of ourselves and other people, Romans chapter 1, that caused this decaying process in life. But there are times when we think, God, you know, why not just get us out of here?
2: Because at this point not everybody will have the opportunity for a warm vacation because we haven't been able to reach everybody in order for them all to choose God and choose Christ. And so I don't remember the word that says this. Uh, I think it's Paul talking about how, you know... they even thought you know, he would come back much sooner and so that was you know two thousand years ago and he's yeah. still not here and so paul says it says you know he's uh, he's not um, slow about his promises we count us, but he's patient not wanting anyone to perish but for all to come to repentance and so he's still waiting patiently for those others that he loves just as much as he loves us okay and so we're here to be the witness because it says somewhere else uh, how can they believe if they don't hear? How can they hear if nobody preaches? Yep. And how can they preach if nobody sends them? And
0: so it's on nice us that in that growing process that we're His voice. His yep. Words and his so to be used. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the quotations you made was from Romans chapter 10, where Paul is talking about how can the Israelites believe if nobody goes to them and shares the good news. So to be used. But Paul has also given us some other insights throughout here. Uh, remember when he said, hope doesn't disappoint, but hope brings character and patience and all of these things. And we read that and we said, mm, yeah, we don't really like that. <laughs> Can we just kick that to the side and just get to the good part? Well, so I, it, think, I
1: think God, when God first created the world, His intent was for life to be in a state of Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the original intent mm-hmm. but then sin entered the world. And so there has to be a process I mean then that then that created the need for the process of being justified and then sanctified.
0: Well, I would be careful because, and we talked about this, remember, God's plan hasn't changed. Sin didn't cause God to say, ooh, mm, that didn't work. God understood from the beginning what would happen. So I think Paul is going to tell us today exactly why we're here. But as we begin to delve into that reasoning, I want you to think that I do have a purpose I'm not just here by accident. Uh, so let's, let's go ahead and jump right in and hopefully we can solve this uh, with Paul's help. So again, verse 12, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse one says, "Therefore, I urge you, brothers, uh, that's a generic term meaning brothers and sisters, people in the family of God, I urge you in view of God's mercy because of everything that he has done that I have shared for you from Romans chapter 1 all the way through Romans chapter 11 he has uh, not only seen our sinfulness Romans chapter 1 he's seen our judgmentalism Romans chapter 2 but he has come along and provided a righteousness that is not based on works it's not based on keeping the law but rather it is based on faith um and Paul shares this and he says the reason that we have this righteousness is because Jesus Christ entered the world and offered himself as the sacrifice for sin. That's Romans, the latter part of Romans chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Those things are all available through faith. And then you get to chapter 6 and Paul says now, because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ when you were baptized With Him you were baptized into His death. You died to the control of sinfulness. That's justification. God immediately considered us as having been dead uh, through the sacrifice of Jesus. So Paul says, In view of all of those things, God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. What's the purpose of a sacrifice? Okay, to make atonement. What's the practical purpose of a sacrifice? What does it do? What does the sacrifice do? What is its role in being a sacrifice? It dies. Yeah. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Notice the problem here. We have an oxymoron. How in the world can we be a living sacrifice? The point of a sacrifice is death. It is simply to present itself and die. And Paul says, I want you to do that, but I want you to live. Well, let's take a look at a at a couple of passages that hopefully will help us. Um, well, I guess we're going to get to that in a minute, sorry. I forgot how I wanted to do this. Um, we're going to go through all of Romans chapter 12, and then I want to, I want to give you three things to, to take away from here. Got ahead of myself. So so Paul says, the, the first thing that we come to is this idea of living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Hmm. I, if I were you, I would circle the word worship here in uh, the beginning part of chapter 12, because it plays one of the key Uh, in my opinion, three purposes that we serve. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, does God need worshipers? Couldn't He just make some? I mean, after all... He is the creator of the universe. If God wanted somebody to worship Him, couldn't He just make somebody to worship Him?
1: our purpose in heaven to worship him going through the process of sanctification and realizing becoming aware of his love for us all of that produces in our hearts a desire to worship
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but he could have created somebody to worship him I mean, the angels bow down and worship him They are beings
0: that were created, but they
1: weren't created. I don't know. We were in His image. Mm -hmm. The angels. I'm talking in circles. I'm thinking out
0: loud. So the angels have no choice, right? Turn to Romans chapter, Romans Revelation chapter four. Revelation chapter four is recorded for us by John, uh, one of the apostles of Jesus. At the end of his life, he was given visions into. Uh, some heavenly scenes. In Revelation chapter 4, he records for us, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had heard uh, speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there... uh, had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head from the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder before the throne seven lamps were blazing these are the seven spirits of god also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they Uh, They were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third the face of a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under his wings day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God has worshipers. Does He not? He is surrounded by worshipers. So the point of us uh, being called upon to worship or our purpose being uh, to worship isn't necessarily that God needs worshipers, He wants a different kind of worshipers. Uh, the first kind of worshipper that He wants is a willing worshipper. The created beings have no choice in the matter. They were created... To worship God. They are fulfilling their purpose. And so in this Paul says I want you to choose to worship God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's a different translation. Um, So in biblical translation. You should remember this from Christ in the Bible at Ozark. So there are different codexes. Uh, codexes are copies of the original and sometimes uh, there would be issues uh, whether it's missing fragments or a a person who copied the text would have uh, inserted something and so that would be the word got changed there the most reliable manuscripts uh, which are recorded because you have the New King James is that right? Uh, the most reliable manuscripts uh, do say uh, spiritual act of worship, um, which is what is recorded in the NIV and I think the New American Standard, uh, and that you know that th- this is what we call textual criticism, where you you look at the original and you say, okay, we've got fifty copies, and of the fifty copies, forty-five of them say this, and five say this. How do we how do we determine which one to use? And uh, so I would tell you that probably in this case, the NIV is a little better at grasping what the original was. Uh, reasonable act of worship involves the mind, um, yes. And the, in this case, the NIV says uh, that it's spiritual. It involves the heart. Now let's think of the context. How did Jesus say, remember the woman at the well? And he says, woman, there, there's coming a day when those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Uh, so as you, as you begin to follow the theology through the New Testament, I would tell you that probably fits better with the context as well. So, number one, God wants willing worshipers. Number two, God wants spiritual worshipers in spite of our tendency towards our sin nature. Uh, think about it this way. The angels in heaven, as they bow down to worship God, they have nothing preventing them from worshiping Him. But we do, don't we? There is a natural tendency within us to want to choose evil. Remember the broken cart, the Walmart cart. We always want to go to the left or, or, or whatever the situation is. And so for God to have worshipers whose bent is to choose themselves, right? That's what the essence of sin is. Romans chapter 1, the essence of sin is when I choose myself over everybody else and over God. What is worship? It is an act of setting aside myself for somebody that is greater than me. And so God wants worshipers who are spiritual in spite of our tendency towards the following of our sin nature. And then finally God wants redeemed Worshipers. and this goes to what Benita was talking about the angels can't sing the song of forgiveness because they've never experienced forgiveness they can't sing the song of mercy because they've never experienced mercy only sinful people can sing those, those songs and so God, we are left here to worship God as willing worshippers, spiritual worshippers and redeemed worshippers um, and I think that that is important. And I'm, I'm going to kind of uh, save the rest of my comments t- till towards the end uh, as we begin to apply this. Uh, but... Okay, secondly, Paul says, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice here that, that uh, Paul gives us two sides of the same coin. He says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Uh, conformity is when we are merely pressed in upon. Uh, the, a literal translation or a word picture of this is pressed into a mold. So you, you, you put something that's malleable, like clay, into something, and then you put a mold around it. It's going to take the shape of the mold, isn't it? Well, what happens when we are malleable? When we are easily distracted, easily moved away, and then we are put into the mold of the world, the evil system that is set up around us, what are we going to come out looking like? We're going to come out looking like the world. We're going to buy into its belief systems. We're going to to begin to understand the world in light of its paradigm. And that's what Paul is saying here. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, Here, Paul is saying that transformation requires the denial of self. Let's turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and uh, verse 31. Jesus then began to teach them, his disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Transformation begins when we understand that the life that we have is not life as it was intended. You know, when we come to Christ, we have our ideas, we have hopes, we have dreams, we have goals, we have all these things. Jesus says, you can hold on to all that stuff if you want to but you won't be transformed. Because those things are ordered under the paradigm of the world. You have to deny those things. God may choose to give some of them back to you. He may not. So, here Paul says that conformity and transformation, first of all, requires self-denial, and secondly, requires a renewing of the mind. What is that? Well... Remember my definition for faith? It is submission to the truth. Here, Paul says it's slightly different. He said it's renewing your mind. It is speaking a new truth into your mind from the Scriptures. Having those truths take over the paradigm that we live under so that then we can submit to that and begin to live out the reality of that. And that's, in essence, what Paul is going to ask us to do throughout the rest of the book of Romans, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16. It's going to be a reiteration of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave.
1: And that's where I see the Holy Spirit working in that process of sanctification and renewing in our minds, just like when we first started this study. And you asked, why are you interested in doing mm-hmm. this study? And so many of us said it. I've read Romans before, I've read it many times, but there are so many layers and so much to learn and know, and that phrase, renewing of the mind, I see so much as that sanctification process of even, even just the discipline of reading God's Word, just doing that discipline, but letting the Holy Spirit do the work of showing us things renewing our minds, bringing things out through Scripture that we've never
2: seen before yep. or understood.
0: Yep. And yep. So in this intervening time period, we have been left here to worship God. We have been left here to be transformed by God. But we have also been left here to serve, right? To have a purpose, Notice uh, what Paul goes on to in the rest of this section, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. What is the number one thing that we as Christians struggle with? Every single Christian. talk to what? Okay, pride. I don't need help. The essence of the gospel is I need help. We struggle to even come to terms with that and then when we do we don't want to ask for help from anybody else, right? Pride. And so Paul says here, "Do not think of yourself more sober uh excuse me, do do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. There is an understanding of ourselves in this verse where Paul says you need to constantly be measuring yourself, weighing yourself. But it's not against other people. It's against the standard of truth in Jesus Christ. It's against uh, how much am I entrusting myself to him, the measure of faith. And then, then Paul goes on, he says, Just as each of, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given, given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith." faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. We have been left here to be humble in service. We have been left here to worship, to be transformed, and then finally... To have humility and service. Number one, we have to understand that our giftedness comes from God. We don't choose our gift. We don't uh, work on our gift. The gift that we have, whether it is teaching, serving, governing, has been given by God, and we just need to accept that. You know, it's it's real easy to look at, you know, I look at Noah and his musical abilities. The kid, The kid picks up the saxophone and he plays it from the beginning like you know, he's been playing it his whole life I'm thinking well that's not fair <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that stinks but it, we do the same thing in the church don't we why can't I teach like this person why can't I uh, have this insight like this person why can't I have this leadership ability Or God says I have given you the gifts that you have understanding that our giftedness comes from God utilizing our giftedness to serve others Many times as Christians, we're selfish with our gift. We don't want to use our gift, whether it's within the church or serving other people. And then finally, appreciating the giftedness of others. Looking at how another person has been gifted and saying, Wow, God, you did cool with that one. Um, Benita was talking earlier about hospitality. One that I will share with you is the whole idea of just being merciful or the gift of faith. And, and uh, Kathy and I have talked quite a bit here recently how, you know, this gifting, she is probably one of the most compassionate, merciful people I've ever met in my life. I'm not like that. I'm kind of a jerk, actually, when it comes to a lot of things. And I think, well, you know, how come she gets, gets that cool gift and I don't? Uh, but again, just learning to appreciate the giftedness of other people. So as Paul or transitions from the theology section into this very practical section, I think he's really answering the question, why are we here? Why do we exist? Why does the church at Rome exist? Why does the church at Ornogo exist? Or wherever the church may be. And he leaves us with three things. Number one, worship. Number two, to be transformed. And number three, to serve. So, that being said, what is the, the central truth of this section of Romans? Number one, or excuse me, the, the, the main point is that God has redeemed us for a purpose, and that pur- purpose is to be a witness of his grace and mercy. He's been sharing through chapter 1 through 11. This is the amazing grace and mercy of our God. He says, Now it's your job to share that with the world around you. Um, So, God has redeemed us for a purpose, and that purpose is to be a witness of His grace and mercy. A couple of uh, thoughts to share with you before uh, we kind of open this up to just some general discussion, but worship is more than songs. I think in the church we struggle with that concept. We think that if we play music and people sing, we've worshipped worship is using our brokenness in the healing that God provides to help others find healing. Let me repeat that. Worship is using our brokenness and the healing God provides to help others find healing. When we... Uh, to, to use kind of the common phrase, uh, you know, I'm just one beggar trying to show another beggar where I found bread when we do that, where is the glory going? It's not going to me, is it? It's not going to you. It's going to the one who provided the bread. It's going to the bread giver. It's going to the one who has provided the redemption. And so, um, worship is in reality a lifestyle, not an event, not a song, not a lyric. Worship, when when we go into the, into the church service and we sing, we are merely singing truths that should transform our minds about the God that we tend to say we worship, right? And yet in reality, many people walk into services just like that all over the country, all over the world, and think, well, I worship God. That's why this series that we're in right now really should be called a worship series. Because that's exactly what Paul's going to say. If you say that you worship God, if you have presented your body as a living sacrifice, this is what it's going to look like. You're going to love. You're going to be gracious. You're going to be compassionate. You're going to submit to authorities. <clears throat> Secondly, to be transformed, we must first understand that worldly wisdom is not God's wisdom. We must learn to deny our wants, feelings, and natural impulses as those are tainted by sinfulness and submit to God's truth. I would tell you that um, as I meet with individuals and and talk with them, this is probably the number one thing that comes up that we talk about is, you know, uh, I was meeting with somebody yesterday and I, I wish I would have counted the number of times they said, and I quote, but I feel something. But I feel this. And we never, you know, pause and, and step back and say, no, wait a minute, my feelings are part of my flesh. It's no different, you know, I, I like to always put it in the, uh, in the benign, I, I like coconut cream pie. Let me refer, I love coconut cream pie. So what if I said, I feel like I'm going to have coconut cream pie for breakfast this morning. And I feel like I'm going to have coconut cream pie for lunch today. And I feel like I'm going to have coconut cream pie for supper and dessert, all three meals. Eventually, I'm either going to turn into a coconut or I'm going to be really, really sick. Right? Why? Because all I'm doing is giving into my basic instinct. The, the most basest of things, I'm simply giving into it. And so, what we do as Christians, we do the same thing, don't we? We say, well, I, I feel this way. I, and so then we live conform to that, whatever it is. Maybe it is a feeling of insignificance to where we think, I need to have the approval of other people. I need, I need their stamp of approval, and so I've got to figure out a way to make everybody happy. Um, or I need the respect of other people, and so we figure out ways to try and earn the respect of other people. And so we tend to live our lives on these things. And all the while, God is standing by saying, I just want you to be you. I want you to know that you are valued as you, loved as you, and are uniquely created as you. And that's enough. And in that moment, when we begin to understand that, true transformation begins to occur... Uh, so that we then begin to live according to faith and not by sight. Number three, how can you participate in the body of Christ? That might be individually and that might be corporately, but each of you should have some role within this local body that you serve. Some way, some some something that you do. There is something that only you can do you know it's like only you can prevent forest fires well in this case only you can serve in the way that you can serve so that being said you know it's kind of cool i didn't plan it this way but the next thing that happens in this room is called next steps uh, if you have been attending uh, christ church and you need a place to get involved to get plugged in they're going to talk about different ministries that are available whether it's in the church Uh, individually and and the thing i will tell you is your giftedness doesn't always have to be done here in the context of the church it might be meeting with people outside of the church showing hospitality teaching leading outside of the church you know those things are also utilizing your spiritual gifts so that is, in a nutshell, I think how Paul transforms from this theological section of the book, chapters 1 through 11, into this very practical section of the book, chapters 12 through 16, by setting up, this is why we're here. So now I'm going to show you how you go about doing that. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes, or about Christ Church in general, Visit us online at ccochurch.com.